Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on embracing the fire. I want to encourage you today. It's always good to be encouraged. And so I want to jump in this morning for hopefully... Hopefully, whatever amount of time. I don't know why I was going to say hopefully a brief. Why would we hope it's brief? I don't know. You know, you guys have already gave. Don't you want, like, I feel like every minute <clears throat> minute I talk is more. More, ba- I mean, I, I love, I'm an excessivist. I love more. I like buffets. I like all you can eat. I, so, like, I mean, it's like you already gave. So, if I cut it short, it's like you got shortchanged. So, let me... Just get it all out there. That's what I hope. How about that? Daniel chapter 3. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 3. I want to read today one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. In my life, it has been a thing that has been great encouragement. Um. <clears throat> Throughout the years, I've battled some ongoing things um, physically. Uh, When I was a junior in high school, I got ulcers in my mouth and my throat, just crazy. I'd get them sizes of quarters and uh, went to Vanderbilt. They biopsied them. They took them to Mayo. I mean, I dropped 60 pounds between my junior and senior year of high school, which is tough when you're playing nose guard to drop 60 pounds. But we made it. We survived. We didn't get killed. Probably could have done a little better if I had that 60 pounds on me still. But um, throughout that time, I've prayed for healing so often. believe God has called me and wants to use my voice. Many times it has threatened my voice and affected my vocal cords, and if you probably don't have to even pay great attention, you hear me breathing a little bit uh, labored at times. It's bec- it's just because of the size of my airway, because of the scar tissue from those sores. This is not what I was preaching today, but I just thought I'd share a little testimony, but it's from those sores, and so I have, what was it, 120% lung capacity, which is amazing. I don't know how you can have 120% lung capacity. Maybe it's because I have an airway of a five-year-old, so my lungs are super awesome because they've had to suck air through that little airway for so long. But I've got a super cool buff lungs now, but it still makes a little whistle when I breathe sometimes. I uh, watch videos of my kids, and I can hear me in the background, and People say I sound like Darth Vader, but that's why. And uh, somebody one time was listening to us online and told a friend of mine, dude, I don't like the way your pastor sounds. I can't listen to him preach. And he's like, well, he has a problem with his vocal cord. And then they felt bad. But anyways, that's why. But throughout the years... Um, being raised in church and believing God for healing. I've had some folks misguided question my faith or whatever when 
seemingly my pain did not go away, my struggle didn't go away, healing didn't come. And as a young minister even, even, I remember um, we would have, I remember particularly one time we had a guest come in and uh, this man was uh, historically had seen lots of healing take place in his meetings. And so I was on staff at this church and he prayed for me and um, I said all the stuff you're supposed to say, you know, and I believe God for healing. And um, the next day, I think I picked him up or something. I had to be in, a, in acquaintance with him being on staff. Um, and I had an or gel and I put or gel in my mouth and he rebuked me for putting or gel in my mouth and said, that's why God didn't heal me was because I did not have enough faith to not use medicine. So I've had some of those things happen in my life and many times uh, actually, but I always would go back to this story of in Daniel chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because when they would not bow down to the idols that King Nebuchadnezzar raised, and he said he's going to throw them into the fire if they don't bow down, and he asked them, did you not bow down? And they said, we're not careful to answer you in this matter, because I used to be afraid to answer people in whatever way because I was sick. And so what, what do I say because I'm sick? And uh, what does that mean about me and my faith? And so I, um, but I began to really lean heavily on this passage because they said, our God is able to deliver us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, let it be known we won't bow down. And so it's been a verse for me. My God is able to heal me and deliver me from all infirmity. Testimony. You know, I, I always waited for this moment when I would be healed. You know, I would have my tongue on a quarter-size ulcer, and then all of a sudden it's gone. I wanted that cool thing to happen, you know. Um, and it's kind of neat the, the song Chloe sang in the passage we read from Romans 5, you'll just one day wake up and realize you're standing where you never real, thought you would stand. And so I don't even know uh, when the things changed in my life, but I seldom get ulcers in my mouth. And when I do, they are small ulcers that probably most people, well, not most, but some people get with stress and Sometimes I get stressed, and then I get those. Sometimes I get, you know, sinus issues, and it always triggers those things, immune system being compromised. Just a random little story this morning, but I just want to tell you why this passage is so amazing to me. So if anybody, I don't think anything's random, why I would share that story. Maybe somebody else today is struggling with some type of infirmity. You're struggling with whether or not it's your fault, whether or not it's because you don't have enough faith, just be encouraged. If you are still trusting in God and believing in him, even through infirmity, 
I believe that is the greatest faith that you can have. So you're saying, my God is able to heal me, but even if he doesn't, I'm going to continue to move forward. And so be encouraged today that you have great faith and continue to trust in God and we'll believe with you for the miraculous to take place. And maybe it won't even be a instantaneous moment, but one day you may be like me and look over at your wife one day and say, I don't remember the last time I had an ulcer in my mouth. I don't carry air or gel in my pocket at all anymore. I don't, I don't do any of that. And when did that happen? And so um, we're just believing God for that to continue to happen in the lives of all those that are trusting him, believing him for deliverance and healing but this passage was such an encouragement to me. I just love and look up to these three Hebrew boys and their great faith. Let's start in verse 1. We're just going to read this whole story this morning. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So we could, instead of reading those several more times, we could say that all of the bigwigs in the land, how about that? All of the bigwigs in the land were invited to come and see this image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, okay? All of the bigwigs in the land. If you're at home, you can say that. All of the bigwigs in the land, okay? Then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. Does anybody else wonder what a sackbut is? Do you wonder what a sackbut is? I thought some of y'all would wonder what a sackbut is. I mean, it's not pertinent to the story today, but it is in the word of God, so I feel like we should know what a sack butt is, shouldn't we? A sack butt is a stringed instrument closely resembling a harp, okay? I don't know why that it says harp and then a sack butt. There must be a small difference in the two instruments. Strangely enough, um, that seems like a weird name for an instrument, but it's such a cool name and a good name that there's actually another instrument named, a modern instrument has now been named the sackbutt, and it is a trombone. How weird is that? So, 
If you look, there's a modern instrument. I think it's from France or somewhere, but it's called a sack butt. But, sack butt, but, that's not what we're talking about. So this was a stringed instrument. In this time and age, this was a stringed instrument. Um, you're probably wondering what a sautery was as well. And I wasn't, so I didn't look that up, okay? So we'll leave that to your imagination. Do some Bible study this week. Tell us what a psaltery is, okay? And all kinds of music. All the people in the nation's language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Okay, wait a second. That we're, we're, we're reading. we got to do all the instruments again. So all the bigwigs in the land, and they paid all the instruments. They played all the instruments, okay? So... Verse 6, and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, I'm reading King James, don't you love it, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of all the instruments, can we do that? All the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Say, all the people. All the people. So, all the big wigs, all the instruments, all the people. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that, excuse me, every man that shall hear the sound of the, all the instruments. How's that? Great shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoso falleth not down. <laughs> Don't you love the key? I love it, man. I just love it. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up, that all the bigwigs in all the land worship, that all the people worship. Everybody does this except for them. Everybody did it except for them. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded, bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here. I just see him pitching a fit a little bit. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Verse 15, now if you be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the, all the instruments, <laughs> you fall down and worship the image which I've made, well, but if you worship not, if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. 
We're not even delicate. We're not even overly concerned about your feelings in this moment. We're not careful to answer you in this matter. If it be so, if you throw us in the fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden, golden image which thou hast set up. <clears throat> Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was. I mean, this is one of the hardest lines in the King James Bible. I mean, it is. I read it like 27 times yesterday, and I'm like, this is one of the hardest lines in all right, heat the furnace one seven times more than it was want to be heated. <laughs> it didn't want to be heated seven times. They heated it seven times anyways. Furnace is mad. Everybody's mad. Didn't want to be heated seven times. <clears throat> and he commanded the most mighty men, say the most mighty men, the most mighty. that were in his army, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. So we got all the bigwigs and all the land, all the people, right? And the mightiest of soldiers and the king and these three Hebrew children are the cast of this story right now. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen. You know what that is? Leggings. All this time I've been saying leggings are not pants, but they were wearing leggings. That's what it was. I don't know. And their hats and their other garments, and they were pretty much the point is they had all their stuff on. Okay? Layers. And their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot... Because the king's commandment was urgent, all right, and because he made the fire so hot, what happened? The flames of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So it offers us a reason, reason as to why they got killed, throwing them into the fire. It's because Nebuchadnezzar was so frantic. So they weren't cautious in doing their job because they were a little bit scrambling because of how urgent Nebuchadnezzar had started. I mean, this is an important part of the story that we have to understand. So Nebuchadnezzar was full of rage and fury and he was pitching a fit and it caused the soldiers that were trying to carry out his assignment to not be able to do it without dying. Okay? So, and because he turned the fire up seven times, okay? Like, seriously. I mean, is that even a threat? I'm going to burn you alive. Not only am I going to burn you alive, I'm going to do it with fire that's seven times hotter than it is right now. Like, do you care how hot the fire is when you're thrown into a furnace? Really? You know what I mean? I mean, you're going to die. 
It doesn't matter how hot it is. Like, I'm like, thank you for turning up seven times. That way I died just before I even get in like those soldiers instead of sitting in there with some little flame dying slowly, right? Just things I think about. What's the point of heating the furnace up seven times? Like if the furnace was seven times cooler, they were going to be better in there? Like, oh, man, this is better. Thank you, O king. Turn it down a little bit for us. Anyways, turn it up seven times harder. Fill them in. They died. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the son of God. This blows my mind. There's much argument. There's different translations. The reason I read the exciting King James version of this story is because I think it most accurately uh, depicts what Nebuchadnezzar said. Some people said he looks like a son of the gods, some translations say. I believe Nebuchadnezzar saw the son of God. And I believe that that revelation transcended his knowledge. I mean, he got such a revelation of Jesus in that moment, saw him there that it came with. I mean, we're trying to teach people stuff. We need to show people stuff. He got enough revelation from seeing Jesus that all of the definitions of Jesus came with it. We didn't have to teach him who Jesus was. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, capital G. We've been talking about little G's. He's been saying, do you worship my idols and my gods? But all of a sudden, he sees Jesus and he says, your God is the Most High God. He all of a sudden has a revelation of Jesus and he knows who God is. And he's able to address him properly. Isn't that amazing? Come forth and come hither. Both of them. Come forth and hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth and hither. No, came forth of the midst of the fire. They did not obey. They did not come hither also. Oh, well. I'm going to ask him about that when I see him in heaven. When he told you to come forth and hither, why did you only come forth? Why did you not also come hither, I ask? <clears throat> all right. And the princes, governors, ca- all the big wigs in the land, remember? All the princes, governors, captains, kings, counselors, being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power nor was a hair on their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. So they had all their clothes on, not even their clothes burned. And they didn't even smell like smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God, capital G, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted him and have changed the king's word. They have changed the king's word. Do you get that? They changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God, lowercase g, except their own God, capital G. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, here it is again, all the people, nation and language which speak anything amiss against the God, capital G, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill. If you even talk bad about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'll cut you in pieces. That's a revelation, isn't it? Because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I love, 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 love this story. First thing I want to point out from this story, we're going to go through just a few points today and hopefully glean some encouragement. Say encouragement. Encouragement today. Try and get some encouragement up in here. All right? So, all the people, all the big wigs, all the people, everybody is doing it. We can't do what everybody's doing. And it's amazing because right now when I make that statement, everybody probably has in your mind an assumption about what I'm talking about based on which side of this division you're on about so many different social issues right now. And so you're automatically, oh, he's saying we don't have to wear masks just because everybody's doing it, right? And some of you are saying, he's saying we don't have to fight against masks because everybody thinks we need to. You have different opinions about it. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about just because everyone is being divided, hating on each other, and feeling like they have to always share their opinion doesn't mean you have to. You don't have to. You can just pass right on by. Just do your own little thing. I saw a meme the other day said, um, it's amazing. I saw someone, oh, I can't even remember it. I'll ruin it if I try. But the essence is you see somebody post something you disagree with, it is physically possible just to scroll right past that and not even affect it, right? I think one of the biggest downfalls of social media is this fact of the audience that you're speaking to. See, we were made to live in community. We speak to people who we have a privilege to speak to. And so if we have not earned the privilege to speak into someone's life, then we should not attempt to. And so what happens with social media, and we could say, 
Well, you know, they're all my friends, and so they probably want to hear what I have to say. Well, but they're going to share what you say when you put it on that public forum, and then people you don't know are going to be offended by what you say. And so we should not speak about controversial things to people who we don't have the right to speak into their life. I mean, I greatly appreciate this week the many um, self-appointed leaders in the church that have yelled and screamed at me on social media because I'm a pastor and I had online services. I mean, I really appreciate their exhortation this week, but I never one time have visited their church. I have never sent them my tithe check. I have never one time asked them to shepherd me or to cover me. And so, but what happens is, what, can I just take a little side note? What I thought was awesome, I heard one this week, and I mean, they were just yelling at me. I, it, and I'm saying me, I, you know, people say, don't take it personal. Well, they said, if you're a pastor, that I checked that box, right? And if you're having online service, I checked that box, then you have no backbone, right? And you're weak, and you're the problem with the church. So check, awesome, appreciate that. And so... What an what a what a what a wide swipe. It wasn't they don't know me, you know. It's just something they decided to post on social media for every pastor that they don't know that they could tell them that. And so there there's a million situations with that. But what I thought was awesome is there was a statement on one of them that said something like um, you know, social media is not the vehicle to where we are able to effectively communicate the truth of God's word, blah, 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 blah. Now, catch the irony of this. This was a social media post <laughs> that was communicating that social media is not an effective way to communicate, you know. But I just thought that was funny. I just thought that was, I thought that was funny, you know. Like, you can't do anything for the kingdom online while I'm telling you this online. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. But just because everybody's doing it, we don't have to do it. I mean, there's going to be pressure. There's going to be pressure to be offended. There's going to be pressure to pick sides. There's going to be a, a, a pressure to... Think about your rights and try to defend your rights and, and your opinions, and you don't have to do it just because everybody's doing it. You don't have to. And so they're, 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 everybody's doing it. All the bigwigs are doing it. We got people on both sides in high places that are throwing stones. Everybody's doing it, and there's pressure. We think we all have to do it, but you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. Here's the thing about Satan. I just want to encourage you. There's lots of things out here right now. There's some um, words that have been released about, um, you know, the times ahead that the church is going through, the times ahead that um, our nation will go through. And, and there's a lot of things being said and spoken and released. And a lot of those things are, are really creating a lot of fear and dread. Okay. A lot of fear and dread. So I just want to try to offset that today and encourage you today 
about whatever we're going through and about whatever we're doing. And I thought there was not much better of a story to do that than us look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who they were literally going to be thrown into fire. Has anybody heard this week that you're going to be thrown into a fire seven times harder than it was? Like literally? And it also, if you didn't realize, it's said in the same hour. If you don't bow, it's going to happen in the same hour. So you even knew a timetable on it, right? So the anticipation of death is worse than death itself, right? So everybody's doing it. Here's the cool thing about Satan. Just let me say this. With what everybody's saying and what's going to happen and this is going to be terrible and the Antichrist is this and the Antichrist is this, are you afraid of the Antichrist just for real? I'm not afraid of the Antichrist. <laughs> Antichrist has been trying to kill me since before I even come out of my mom's womb, right? I'm standing here today because my God, capital G, has overcome the little Antichrist, right? He has no power. He has no authority over me. He cannot hurt me or harm me or take anything from me. I will overcome. I will win. I will be victorious. I'm going to take a little hiatus for a little while, and then I'm going to come back with the host of heaven, and I'm going to whip his tail once and for all. Amen? I mean, this is who we're talking about, and we're, get like, we're like getting freaked out about he is a defeated foe. Sometimes because he takes on flesh, I think we're more afraid of him than just Satan. We're not afraid of Satan because we don't see Satan. So we kind of don't realize how active he is and how much he tries to kill you every day, right? But then all of a sudden we start talking about a man that shows how different we are, how, how much our focus is different. When a man of the Antichrist, oh, it's going to be a man now. That's so much worse, right? Anyway, Satan always overplays his hand. So whatever's coming, whatever's happening, I'm rest assured in this. He always overplays his hand. He tried to ascend the hill of the Lord. He thought that he could be like God. He thought he could approach God. He got too close, like when you get too close to a, a, a 15,000 volt transformer. I believe that's what happened. You know, it says he got kicked out of heaven and it looked like lightning. I think he got too close to God. He thought he could handle it and it blew him out. You can't approach God, you can't approach the source of all light. And so he tried to ascend the hill. He tried to approach God. He always overplays his hand. He is completely and absolutely 100% depraved, depraved and deceived. He does not know how to win. Do you understand that? He does not know how to win. He is destined to lose every single time God plays with him. God toys with him. God will give him authority and then let him outplay it, overplay his hand, and then crush him with it. How many times in Scripture did God literally harden people's heart and let them listen to him and let him play his hand through them, and then God just uses them to bring glory to himself? Like Pharaoh, he always overplays his hand. So Nebuchadnezzar gets fired up. He doesn't just put the fire regular. 
Satan can't just put the fire regular. He thinks he can ascend the hill. He thinks he can make the fire hot enough where he can attack God. He thinks he can somehow overcome the body of Christ. But he can't. Many may get offended and fall away. Some people may leave the body. Some people may turn their back on God. They may. But those that remain will be saved. There'll be a people who he cannot touch. And I'm part of that people. He always overplays his hand. So Nebuchadnezzar turns the fire up seven times hotter. Right? And he gets fired up and he's like, let's hurry. Give it here now. Like Jesus, oh man, here's the opportunity. Let's kill him. Oh crap, what I do? Right? He just totally did everything that was prophesied. I played right into his hand, and I was so bit, so depraved, so deceived, so envious, so jealous. You ever see people, they can't do the right thing. They keep hurting themselves because of the wrong motives. He's the father of that. He's on a self-destructive path. Are you with me? He keeps fighting God. How dumb can you be? Like, what's your plan here? You're going to lose. So he turns the fire up seven times hotter. And look what happens. He gets his mightiest men. This is what Satan does. I want you to hear this. He overplays his hand. The people you're afraid of, the things you're afraid of, the positions you're afraid of. What if this person gets here? What if this person gets here? What if, what if Satan is able to use his power that has been given to him over the prince and power of the air? What if he's able to use that to put the most powerful people in a place that they can actually be the ones that bind us? And what if he turns the fire up seven times harder? What's going to happen? Listen, this is what's going to happen to you. You're not going to smell like smoke, and your clothes aren't going to be burned. And Satan is going to burn up his own people because he always overplays his hand. That's what's going to happen in this. We, th there's no questions in this. There's no, there's no I don't, I'm not sure what's going to be. It, it, we don't have to look at all the things and try to see if it's going to work out right. It's going to work out right. It's going to work out right. We are going to win, and we're going to be gone when this world can't handle us anymore. And again, he's going to stay down here during the tribulation and overplay his hand. And we're going to come back and we're going to crush him like a cockroach. He's going to lose. But I just saw this so powerfully. Because of Nebuchadnezzar, he actually destroyed his mightiest men. He went to kill God's people, but he destroyed his biggest weapons. So these fires that you're afraid of that you think are going to take you out, they're not going to take you out. They're actually just going to reposition us, and they're going to take out some of the things that you think have power and authority over you.
because the king's command was urgent and because he turned the fire up. See, here's the thing. Jesus is waiting on you in the fire. I believe, I don't believe Jesus was reactionary. I don't believe Jesus was in heaven and like, you know, oh shoot, he just threw them in the fire. We, we know that he, he couldn't have taken long because it didn't even catch, start the close, right? The fire that killed the guys that were throwing them in didn't kill them in. So I believe there was a, not only was he in the fire, there was a path into the fire because they didn't burn even when they were as close as the soldiers who burned. So Jesus is waiting in the fire. Jesus has prepared the fire. I did not say Jesus set the fire. I did not say Jesus authored the fire. I did not say Jesus wanted the fire. But Jesus has taken the fire and he has changed the fire. He's changed the, the uh, what is it? The components of the fire to where now the fire does not burn his beloved. It only burns their adversaries. He's literally changed the composition of the fire. And he's in the changed fire, the changed composition. See, fire used to consume you. In Acts 2, it comes and sits on you. I mean, this fire that we're afraid of now is supposed to be what is consuming us, and we're fire. Like, he's a wheel within a wheel. He's a fire within a fire. And so we're supposed to be going into this season of fire that looks scary. Fire is not afraid of fire. We should be on fire. We should be going into fire as fire where fire can't affect us. Because Jesus is in the fire, and he's changed the composition of the fire. Whatever trial, whatever tribulation, whatever circumstance, whatever struggle, whatever disease, whatever it is, God has changed the composition of it. One of my pastor friends died from this disease. God changed the composition of that virus of something that's supposed to bring destruction, and he used it as a tool to bring his son home, to give his son the greatest reward. See, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your power? He's changed the composition of the grave. He's changed the composition of the things that we fear and we dread, and he's changed those things to be things, doorways into promise. Those things bring increase to us. Those things burn off and kill those that tried to bind us. Those things burn our ropes off of us. He repurposes what the enemy meant for evil. He turns it for good. Genesis 50, 20, Joseph tells his brothers, man, you guys beat me up. You threw me in a pit. You left me for dead. You changed your mind. You sold me as a slave. You meant it for my evil. But that's okay. God meant it for my good. For the saving of many. And here I am in a position now where I can bring deliverance to you. Those that betrayed me. <clears throat> a 
Romans 8, 28, we all know God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's amazing. Exodus 14, another passage. We see that God, let's just paraphrase it for the sake of time. God literally tells Moses to lead Israel this particular way. Like lead Israel around like y'all are lost. Okay? So that Pharaoh will think he can come after you and overcome you. So God is using this seemingly lostness, this wandering. He wants Pharaoh to think they're wandering aimlessly, and he brings them up to the Red Sea on purpose. Look, here they are. Overplay your hand again. They're just here. I'm, I'm afraid of you. God's like, I, I'm weak and powerless. Overplay your hand, please. Look, I can't even lead them straight. I can't even speak to the man of God, Moses, and cause him to find a path that doesn't end up at a sea. You see this past what man does and what's happening, but you look at the spirit. Man, look, you might actually be able to come up on my heel now. You finally got me. I'm so scared. And Moses and all the people are sitting there, and he's like, yeah, just stay right there. Yeah, I'm scared. Today, Pharaoh is actually going to bring glory to me. Stay right there. So he tells them there, and he causes Pharaoh to come after him. Man, what in the world? He's changing the composition of the fire. He's changing what it means for an army to come after you. He's changing what it means to be trapped between the Egyptian army and a Red Sea. He's changing what it means to seem lost. He's changing what it means to not know which way's right and what you're thinking and all those things. All those things that make you seem like your, your faith is wavering and you don't know what to do. He's changing the composition of those circumstances to trap the, your adversary and destroy him. So he lets them come after him. But he's waiting on them in the fire. Look at Psalm 77. You know, I love this passage. Read it from the New Living Translation. Psalm 77 and 16. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook when the Red Sea saw God. When the fire saw Jesus, what do you think it did? What do you think the sea does when it sees your God? What do you think that thing that you're afraid of that you're going to have to face over the next few weeks or months or years, what do you think it's doing when it sees your God? Are we, letting our, are we showing our situation God or are we showing God our situation? 
Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep. Just like he led Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, he led the Israelites through the sea in a road. It says your road no one knew was there. It's his road. I mean, like, I kind of see that like he'd been using that road. You know what I mean? It's I can just see God like months before, years before, right? Just testing it out. Just like being like, okay, I just want to, you know what I mean? Like highway inspection. He comes down once a month and walks the road because he knows he's going to bring Israel there. He knows he's going to make Israel look lost and blah, blah, blah. Bring them a long way around. Bring them right to the place where his road starts. Also, he can get Pharaoh on the bridge before he takes the boulders out from under it. Changing the composition of it. So it's his road. Jesus is in the fire. God is in the sea. The preparation, the provision is there. The table is set in the presence of your enemy. He makes certain death become a sure feast. He makes what you're afraid of become a thing that increases you and enlarges you. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters... I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. He will be with you. One of the most powerful things that I see is all the bigwigs in the land. Once they see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the fire, all the bigwigs in the land believe in God. See, this this is how we get this thing so mixed up. Jesus didn't get it mixed up. How do we change a nation in a day? How do you change a nation in a day? How did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do it? Be willing to go into a fire. We literally, as a church, as the church, I should say, not as our church particularly, but as the church, we literally are trying to change a nation by screaming out against the fire. I have a right not to go into the fire. Do you think if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had got him a lawyer, had contested the fire throwing in the seven times hotter thingy, I think it's against my constitutional right that he's going to put me into a fire that's seven times hotter than it should be. I appeal this. Man, I, I understand there, there's things we should stand up for. There's things we should believe in. But my goodness, I just remember when Jesus went and told Peter to go catch a fish and he saw the fish and, he, and the fish had a coin in his mouth. Jesus said, whose face is on that coin? Why, it's Caesar's. Well, then it's Caesar's. 
Give Caesars what it is. I just believe, man, I, I, I promised myself I would not make one political statement. But I just believe. This is tough for me, right? I don't like people tell me what to do when I think I shouldn't have to. Wah. I think if Jesus were here in the flesh today and Peter said, dude, this mass situation, what do we do? I mean, to send the hate mail, hey, some spiritual leaders out there, yell at me on social media this week, all right? I believe he would tell Peter to go fishing. What do I do, God, about this mass situation? I just don't know. Go catch a fish. The answer will be in the fish. I believe Peter would go catch a fish. And you know what I believe Peter would pull out of the fish's mouth? A daggum mask. <laughs> go catch a fish. What is that? Mask. Okay, put it on then. It's, well, whose face is on it? Caesar. Who made the rule? Caesar, okay. And forget about Caesar. What about Walmart? What about Ace Hardware? What about, look, I have a right to go anywhere I want to go and do whatever I want. No, you don't. These people own this place. It's their business. Like, they have a sign in front of it. If you want to shop here, please put a mask on. I can go anywhere. No, this is private property. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't understand that mindset. And here's what I'm saying. Like, I, 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 I'm not, I, I mean, I, I wore a mask for the first time this week in, in uh, Southeastern Salvage. I mean, I, I hate wearing them. And literally, because of the whole airway thing, I'm not being a baby. I literally, like, I just had to go outside every few minutes because I really was struggling to breathe. Because I'm, it's hard. I'm having to take those big gaps. I'm not getting a lot of breath in there. I don't get just passive air in. I only get air when I breathe. Okay, but anyways, so I told the guy in there, I was like, man, I'm struggling with this. Really, I'm getting dizzy. I'm going to go outside for a few minutes. And it got so refreshing outside. It was 100 degrees, you know. <sighs> yeah, this is cool. I feel so much better now. I was wearing a mask in a 70-degree store, and it was hot. <laughs> I came outside at 100 degrees, give me a little fresh air. <clears throat> Dude, all the implications, all the government overreach, I hear you. I hear you. But except for a very few cases nationwide, the church is unhindered at this point. Move forward. Maybe make a few adjustments we recommend. Most places, it's just recommendations. So let's just chill out with the massive conspiracy theories, all right? And just get in the dang fire. I think we'll change the nation more by getting into the fire and taking on a little discomfort than we will fighting against every single thing. They kept asking, the disciples kept asking Jesus, when are you going to set up your kingdom? When are you going to overcome Rome? <laughs> Remember he told Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house today. When are we going to over? No, that, that was the kingdom. You know, Zacchaeus, whole life changing. <laughs> Zacchaeus, like, you know, giving what he had to the poor and making recompense from where he had stole. That's, that's what we're doing. Why don't you do that? 
We want a God that is a God that is massively concerned about our rights. That's his biggest issue is our rights. Oh, man, but that's not who, that's not the God we have. <laughs> that's not the true living God. You know what his biggest concern is? People. People. And I think he'll take, I know he'll take whatever persecution may come against the church, no matter how great or how small, and he'll recompose that. And he'll use it to bring increase. It shows such a lack in our understanding of who he is in our faith when we think literally he needs my social media posts waged against the machine to really make things happen in the world. No. He needs us to be loving, submitted, humble people that have the same mind in us that was in him. That although he had great rights to claim equality, equality, equality with God, he did not grasp those and hold on to those. He let them go. Let's let some things go and be humble. I think we'll see that some of the things we're fighting for and some of the things that we're refusing to walk in are, are, are more about us than about him. It's easy to get, try to put God's name on our rebellious attitude. Say it's about him. Remember, that's what Saul did. We talked about that last week. That's enough, man. My goodness, I didn't want to go that far on that. Here's the thing. I think there's more people. I know there's more people that freedom is in the balance on your decision about whether you'll go in the fire or not. All the big wigs, all the people, the entire nation turned in a day. See, I mean, look, I, I love it. It's like, I, I just, come on. I see God just letting set, Satan set the timetables. Like, dude, I was going to change this nation. I was going to take a few years. I was going to kind of, you know, I was kind of working on some things, you know. I was, I was kind of. I was really hoping to use this church in Powell. They were going to do some stuff, man. You know, I really wanted them to be, be a tool in my hand to help offset worship in the nations. But I figured it would take some time, and we were going to have to really, you know, we're growing them and all this stuff. And he says, no, within an hour of them not bowing down, I'm going to throw them in the fire. Oh, okay, so we're speeding this thing up. Okay, that's cool. I was going to take my time. Uh, you know, I'm patient and loving and kind. You know, I'm First Corinthians 13 in the flesh. You know what I'm saying? But, but you seem to be in a hurry to die. You seem to be in a hurry to lose. You don't. I know that's just because of your depravity and your complete deceptive mindset. I know you don't know right from wrong, and you don't know anything. So you're in. You think you're in a hurry to win, but you're really just speeding up you dying. So I don't know how much the enemy is going to try to speed up his inevitable death. But I think God's like, I'll be your huckleberry. Like, you want to move this thing up today? If you want to tell me, oh, we're going to do this in the next hour, okay, watch this. By the end of this day, yeah. this entire nation is going to worship me. <laughs> See that? See how I did that? 
Like, I'm minding my own business over here, you know. I'm, I'm grooming Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're going to be evangelists, and they're going to do some stuff, you know. But if you want to turn this thing up, if you want to actually give them the opportunity to go into the fire, that will speed up the timetable. See, nothing speeds up the timetable about what God wants to do in your life is if the enemy brings a fire up closer, and you can go ahead and go on into it right now. It was going to take 10 years preparation for God to do what he wanted to do in you, but if Satan wants to bring a fire up right now, it just brought acceleration into your life. Just go ahead and go on into the fire and skip some years. But you want to avoid the fire? Just go ahead and take your time. I mean, isn't this crazy? Satan's just constantly opened doors for us for increase. I mean, he opens doors to furnaces and lion's dens and wants us to go into Red Sea and drown, but God repurposes those and he opens doors no man can shut, right? He's like, hey, that's a great idea. I'll use that. Got anything else? But he, all these people, the whole nation changed in a day. Guys, seriously, have you thought about that? Can a nation change in a day? I believe this with all my heart. If it was 100%, if people who claimed Christ, if the church was the church, if we were genuinely the body of Christ and we all collectively in a day decided to lay down all of our crap, sorry, and just all of us go into the fire together, all of us have the same mind that's in Christ, I believe we could change the nation in a day, just a day. What we're doing is, I mean, there's plenty of fire being provided right now. And there's plenty of God in the fire being provided right now. And there's plenty of fire outside the fire being provided for us to be the fire not even in the fire right now. Holy Spirit, that if we would all burn at one time and lay down our selfish agendas and all the things that we've made it to be and all our religious exploits, I believe we would change the nation in a day, 100%. So what we're trying to do right here is get people that claim Christ to be genuine followers of Christ. Jesus took the cross repurposed it, tool of death. He made it a symbol of promise. The grave, he repurposed it. I heard today the, the song said, what, what, what did you say? Let the grave resound. See, that empty grave is like a just a resounding. Last week, the song says, um, what, what did the song say last week? The cross I think of the cross, remind myself. The cross reminds my heart to trust. See, all these tools that were meant to bring death have been repurposed, and now we use them as the body of Christ that bring us hope. The cross reminds our heart to trust. The grave resounds that death has no power, and the grave has no, the de death has no sting, the grave has no power. So we go forward. 
but there's people who are going to be changed. So the big wigs and all the people, I genuinely believe all the people that you come in contact and you live your life in, with, and around. You know, um, Romans 8, I've read this a lot here lately. I think it's so sensitive right now, but all of creation is groaning. I love the Passion Translation. It says the, 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 the universe is on its tiptoes waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, daughters of God to be revealed. <clears throat> He's in the fire, the son of God. I believe that we are supposed to be as him in the fire. We're sons of God. We're heirs and we're joint heirs. The world, the people in your life, they see you in the fire like Nebuchadnezzar saw Jesus in the fire. You become, I hope you can follow me with this, you become like Jesus in the fire, and when people get a revelation of you in the fire and you're like him, then it causes them to be beckoned like a moth to a flame, come into the fire. And as they see you and they want to come into the fire, as they approach the fire, those strong men, those mighty warriors, those things that have bound them are being slayed and burn off of them. But you are the redemptive revelation of God. You are that. He's displayed himself through creation. He's displayed himself through the prophets. He's displayed himself through his son. Now he's displaying himself through his people. With the Holy Spirit within us, a fire within a fire, and we see people see us, people see us in the fire. They see the attributes of God. They see and it, they immediately know, dude, this person is different. There's something in their life that I can only see when I saw them in the fire. And now that I see that, I want to grow close to them. I want to get to what is in them. And as they draw close to what is inside of you, inside the fire, then those things are slayed and burn off. Do you see that picture from... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they went in, I believe they saw Jesus in the fire. What if they saw him before they even answered Nebuchadnezzar? Wouldn't that have been funny? Hey, oh, Jesus is already in there. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not, we're not careful to answer you in this. God is able, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, <laughs> just let it be known. We won't serve you. We'll be there in a minute. We're just kind of playing it up a little bigger right now, Jesus. We're telling, we're telling him, you know, we're not even careful. <laughs> huh? Why don't we have a little fun with it? Why don't we have a little fun with it? We're walking around all the time in fear, and we're trying to say, can I say the right words of faith that may possibly get God to be God and might possibly cause him to love me enough to save me from the fire? He's waiting for you on the fire. See him there. Taunt your adversary with your present help in time of trouble. That's why he prepares the feast in the presence of your enemy. He wants them to see you dying well. We're literally 
literally trying to muster up this stuff. We're literally trying to say right stuff and we're trying to do right stuff, thinking that God is waiting to see if we, if we do it all perfectly. Come on, he's there. Get a revelation of who is the one that's doing the work and has done the work. Build your life on him. He's the firm foundation. Because against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. Against its own will, the universe has been put into slavery because of the sin of man. We're all born as sinners. We're all born slaves to sin. But as the sons of God are revealed, those that entered into slavery and want to be free chains begin to fall off then. The song we started with today was so powerful. As we sing, chains fall off, captives are free. As we reveal, as we show the attributes of God in the midst of a fire, but it only happens in the fire. I mean, it magnifies. Quit trying to magnify your voice. Your voice will be magnified plenty if you'll get in the fire where you're supposed to be. We're trying to get a platform or a stage. You'll never be louder than if you're in the fire. Your life will never shine brighter than if you're in the fire. We got to keep our focus on what we got to keep our focus on. Close with this. So not everybody's doing it. I never have points, but I got some today. Let Let me just celebrate them. Not everybody's doing it. Satan will always overplay his hand. Jesus is always waiting on us in the fire, the sea, our circumstance. He's there, and we must keep our focus on Jesus. He's the beginner and the finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, as for us, we have all these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds, so we must let go of every wound that has pierced us I love that translation, the passion. We must let go of every wound that has pierced us because what, what's the other translation say? Let's, um, every weight that besets us, I think is the King James. Every wound that has pierced us. Because when it gets down to it, the weights that beset us, nine times out of 10 are wounds that have pierced us and offenses. And the sin we so easily fall into, then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has been already marked out before us. Remember, he already went through the sea. He already put the road where he wanted it. He's already in the fire. It's already been marked out. It's already been planned. It's already been prepared. Victory is secured. This is not, we're not trying to wait and see if we survive through November. We survive. We win. Whether I store up food, whether I do anything else, I win. I win. I win. We look away. Here's what I want you to see. We look away from the natural realm, and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us. 
and who leads us forward into faith perfection. See, in Exodus 14, when, Jesus, when God was doing his perfect plan, when God said, Moses, lead them this way, that's going to make Pharaoh think, and then I'm going to take them to the sea. I've already been there. I checked it last week. The road's still good. You know? And I'll be out there in the middle of it waiting on you. You'll see me. I can swim, but when you put the rod right out, you'll see me. I was already down there under it. And then you'll follow me on my road. But here's what they did in verse 10, Exodus 14. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of, Ar- the sons of Israel looked. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, is is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way? Bring us out of Egypt. Is not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. That's a lot of talk. And all because, like, they're chilling, right? Everything's going fine. God's in control. He's leading them. They're doing all this stuff. And then what changed? What changed to all of a sudden? Oh, my gosh, we should have just stayed in Egypt. We told you to leave us there. We could have just died. Why'd you bring us out here? Don't have grave. Here's the only thing that changed. They looked. I want you to take your eyes off the natural realm. Fix it on Jesus. He's in the sea. Look, he's in the fire. Look. Go with him. He's leading you. He's guiding you. He's there. He's got this. Well, okay, let me just take a peek. Oh, my gosh, why in the world did we even start this thing? Why in the world did you Why do we have so much torment? Why do we have so much dread? Why do we have so much fear? Because we keep looking. Well, I'm just trying to be informed. Be informed about Jesus. Be informed about Revelation. See him. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today for the Egyptians whom you have seen today. You will never see them again ever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. While you keep silent. So, he's in the fire. He's waiting for us. We got to focus on him. And just add one more thing. Just be quiet. Just be quiet while you're going into the fire. You don't want to be like the Israelites all the way to promised land, you know, every other day. Oh, my gosh, I wish we'd stayed in Egypt. Oh, my gosh, I wish we'd stayed in Egypt. Oh, my goodness, this would have been so much better if we were in Egypt. Everything, everything. Just speak. Oh, man, we're crying out. A lot of times our crying out is pitching a fit. 
You ever been in a prayer meeting and everybody there saying, we're all crying out, we're all interceding, and you left feeling more depressed than you did when you got there? You went to a big pity party. Everybody got in there and was just crying. It'd been better if you'd have stayed home, read your Bible, <laughs> listened to a worship song. <laughs> Cried out. God said, stop crying out. I'm over here. You're crying. Let's go. God, where are you? I'm right here. Come on. Let's go. God, deliver me from the fire. No, I'm in it. Come on. I'm not saying we're not tempted. Jesus did it in the garden, right? God, if there's any way, three times he prayed. But then he got up. He didn't stay in the garden of decision. He got up and went into the fire. And if we're going to be followers of him, we got to take up a cross, walk into a fire, go into the sea. Whatever it is, following Christ looks like going into the impossible. I believe and know, just like the verse I read from the song today, man, we're standing where we never thought we would, and that's not the end of it. He's going to continue to lavish. He sat at us in heavenly places where from this time till eternity, he can just lavish on us the riches of the kingdom. The problem is, we like the disciples, we've got mixed up what that lavishment looks like. And so we have this aversion to pain. We have this aversion to anything that looks like fire or anything that looks like subtraction or decrease. Man, I feel like I'm preaching the same sermon all the time. But if you just have that, every week as I get ready during this pandemic and during this time, I'm like, Lord, what would you have me to say? And I feel like it's the same thing. But my goodness, we have to, today I'm in trying to encourage you. He's there. He's in it. You win. Be encouraged. We don't lose. Whatever it is, whatever it looks like, don't spend so much time trying to study it so you know. What is it going to help if you have all the information about the fire? Quit studying the fire. Study the God in the fire. See the God in the fire. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that we overwhelmingly conquered. Listen, let me give you some homework. Go read Romans 8. I was going to end with that today, but I'm not going to. We overwhelmingly conquer. Nothing can separate us from you. Nothing can come between us and you and your love for us. We win. We win. Not close. It's not a close call. It's not by the hair of our chinny-chin-chin. We win. We win over the top. We win decidedly. We win. Everything intended to harm us, bring pain to us and suffering to us is for our good, 
and for your glory. You will turn it around. You will change it. You will make it, recomposition it. You will make it to where it brings edification and increase. Let us be encouraged as your people to see you, to look for you, to look for you, to look for you, to set our gaze on you, to follow you. More than we follow the news, more than we follow the trends, more than we follow the big wigs, more than we follow what everybody else is doing, more than we follow the king, more than we follow all the other influences and all the other information and all the other things, let us, number one, make sure we know where you are. And if you're in the fire, we don't have to know about the, what the fire is and try to decide if that's where we should go. We are to go where you are. We are to go where you're leading us. If we study it too long, we'll talk ourselves out of it and we'll avoid it. But if we look to you, we'll become increasingly more faithful every day, more emboldened to enter wherever you are because we see you. We look into your eyes. We catch your gaze. But if we study circumstances, if we study situations, if we dwell on these things, if we don't think on whatsoever things are pure and holy and good report and know that those things are where you are and wherever you are is where we want to be and we press towards that mark, that prize of being with you and that intimacy, that's what you did. You went for the joy that was set before you and you endured the cross. We must have that joy of being connected to you before us as well. Let us focus on you and not on the situations or the circumstances. Let us be unmoved and unchanged. Let us be unaffected by what's going on around us because you are steady and you are faithful and you are sure. And if our focus is on you, then we are steady and we are sure and we are unmoved. Big wigs change. All what everybody's doing changes. What everybody's playing music to changes. Even the orders and the assignments and the laws, they change. But you don't change. Let us fix our gaze on you and follow you. And in that, let us find such encouragement and such strength and such joy. Every day we don't have to be up and down and all around we can be steady and focused on you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.